Thanks for being here this morning, first summer session. Uh, we'll meet again in July on, I'm not sure the date, I think it's like the 19th, but it's the third Thursday, just remember that, and I hope to see you all there. And then I think our speaker in July is um, uh, Waring Porter, who is pastor of All Saints Presbyterian Church. And then in August, we've got Mitchell Moore, who is pastor for young adults here at uh, Second Press. So couple of other great speakers, but today we're going to welcome Richie Sessions, but before we do, let me uh, say a prayer for us. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for all the many blessings you give us, and we pray that you'll be with us today um, as we uh, study your word and uh, learn more about you. Lord, we pray that it will, uh, that you'll speak through Richie and that you'll allow his words to uh, Bless us in ways that uh, we'd never know uh, without your uh, love and grace towards us. Lord, we pray that you will uh, be with him today as he uh, speaks to us. Lord, we thank you for the food you've given us this morning. We thank you for the hands that prepared it. And we pray, Lord, that you'll send us out into this world today to uh, think more about others than we do about ourselves, to act in a way that glorifies you, and to uh, just focus more on you each day. Uh, and just be better men. Lord, we thank you again for all our many blessings and uh, ask all this in the name of your precious son. Amen. We are uh, honored today to have Richie Sessions, who is the senior pastor at Independent Presbyterian Church. Uh, And Richie, I was sent a brief biography on you, and really all I retained from that was you've got three great kids (laughs) and um, have been maybe a year as in your position. And I just know personally from my experience and all my friends at Independent, just what a blessing you've been to that church. I know our church here at Second just considers your church such a partner in uh, this community. We're just so glad you're part of the team now. And so welcome. And I hope you will tell us a little bit more about yourself that I'm remembering. So I apologize for that. But come on up. Thanks. That's, that's the only information that you need to retain about me. Uh, my wife, Laura, I have three kids. I have a, um, an eight-year-old daughter um, who has just finished second grade and uh, a six-year-old son uh, and uh, a three-year-old little girl. Uh, Mamie is my oldest daughter, Griffin and Margaret. Uh, my, my wife and I, Laura, love being here in Memphis. And uh, as you can imagine, you're looking at me. Some of you, I'm sure, and going, why in the world is that guy the senior pastor of Independent Presbyterian Church? Uh, I'm actually 70 years old. Um, I just, I look, don't I look great? I look great. Uh, no, uh, I was the assistant pastor at Independent um, for uh, approximately two and a half years. I was assistant pastor to young adults like uh, Mitchell. And uh, through a series of events, uh, I was called to be the senior pastor and Nothing has taught me prayer and dependence upon the Holy Spirit like this last year, Um, which kind of brings us to our topic this morning, uh, pride. If you have your Bibles, you can open to John chapter 13. We'll be looking at John 13 and then a series of passages from John 18. We'll be looking at pride in the life of Simon Peter, beginning in verse 36 of John chapter 13. 
Simon Peter asked him, he's asked Jesus, he asked Jesus, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he goes on to say, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. In chapter 18, verse 14. Caiaphas was the one who advised the Jews that it would be good if one man died for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus because this disciple was known to the high priest. He went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back, spoke to the girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You're not one of the disciples, are you? The girl asked. The girl at the door asked Peter. He replied, I am not. And then verse 25, as Simon Peter stood warming himself, he was asked, You are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. I often wonder, because I I, I like to teach on Peter for some reason because I, I can identify with Peter so much. I often wonder when I see Peter in heaven... uh what he will say to me, because he's always the negative example uh, in my sermons. And this morning we're going to look at Peter's pride. Three things. The definition of pride. Secondly, the symptoms of pride. And then finally, freedom from pride. The definition of pride, symptoms of pride, and then the freedom from pride. A few months back, I did a series on uh, the seven deadly sins at Independent Presbyterian Church. And I began with this sin, you know, the the seven deadly sins, pride, lust, gluttony, anger, greed. Um, Pride is the mother of all these sins. It is the root of all the sins. If you're a fan of Lord of the Rings, it is the one ring that binds all the sins together. Or if you're a fan of uh, football, college football, it is the championship of all the BCS Bowls. It is the mother of of all the sins at the root of all the sins. And all the sins actually flow out of pride. Let's look at the definition of pride. Here's a definition, a working definition this morning. Pride puts self at the center of the universe and can only be maintained by a combination of conceit and ignorance. Pride puts self at the center of the universe and can only be maintained by a combination of conceit 
and ignorance, an inflated view of self that functionally makes self into God and displaces the real God, the mother of narcissism, and inordinate self-esteem. Cornelius Plantiga says that pride, and this one hits, this one hits close to home, Pride is what enables a badly educated pastor to be both theologically vague and dogmatic at the same time. Pride is what enables a girl who cannot sing to save her life think that she always deserves the leading part, but no one, no one uh, believes that more than her mama, right? In the Bible... Pride is equated with foolishness. Proverbs 26, Do you see a man who's wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Proverbs 30, If you have played the fool, you have exalted yourself. So to be prideful from the biblical perspective is to be a fool. Why is that? You know from Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells a parable. The parable of the rich man. His ground produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then I will store all my grain and all my goods. I will say to myself, literally he says, self, you have plenty of things, good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool." This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. And ultimately what Jesus is saying is this man is his own reference point. His self is the only person that he's consulting. And because of that, he is a fool. The man who doesn't factor anyone else into his plans. Pride says unknowingly. Here's here's the problem with pride. Pride says unknowingly that I am God. That's why Peter says in 1 Peter, God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Why? Because if you are proud, you're trying to do God's job. And in the words of the great poet Merle Haggard, you are on his fighting side. Pride is the root of sin because ultimately it puts self on the throne of God. But C.S. Lewis says, it's much easier to detect pride in someone else than it is in your own life. Which is why I'm teaching on this this morning. Because I'm convinced you really need to hear this message. It is so much easier to see pride in your life than it is to see pride in my life because of blind arrogance. It is an odorless killer. And no one was more ignorant of their pride than Peter. And Jesus 
is the carbon monoxide tester, the alarm for the odorless killer in the life of Peter. And he makes a very loud noise in the life of Peter. So patient, but so clear. Well, let's look at some symptoms. You may be thinking to yourself, oh, that's a great, that's an interesting definition of pride. We all agree with that. I don't know if I struggle with that. So let's look at a few symptoms of pride to know ultimately, is, is this something that I actually have in my life? Let's look at the first symptom of pride. High control. Peter is high control all throughout the Gospels. Look at verse 36. Simon Peter asked Jesus, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow. Boy, that's truly something Peter likes to hear, isn't it? Where I'm going, you cannot follow, but you will follow later. Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. If you know anything about the Gospels, you know that Peter hated the idea of Jesus dying. And any time that Jesus would begin to talk about going to Jerusalem or dying, it absolutely drove Peter mad. In fact, in one very uh, poignant moment, Jesus calls Peter Satan. You will not die. By no means will you die. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Now, would that make you go to the end of the line there? That Peter is convinced that he has the best plan for Jesus' ministry. It's my way or the highway. If you have control issues with your family, if you have control, high control, and you know who you are, if you have high control issues with your spouse or with your friends, or how about this, with your work, are you in, do, you off, do you get in quarrels often at work? Is it because you're convinced that the way everyone else is doing it, they just don't have a clue what they're doing? Then, then control is actually not the issue. Do you know what's underneath that? It's pride. Do you know why? Because who can? You can. Nobody else can. That you know how things should work and you look at these idiots. They don't know what they're doing. But the problem is, left unchecked, high control will alienate everyone in your life. So the first symptom of pride that we see in the life of Peter is high control. Here's a second one that really hits home for me. Impatience. Impatience is actually a symptom of pride. Peter is extremely impatient with everyone. He wanted everything right now. He wanted the kingdom to happen right now. And he would do impulsive things because of his impatience, like cut off the ear of a guard. When they come into the guard, you all know he does this? He cuts off the ear of a guy. And it's almost like Jesus is like going, 
gets his ear and says, like, Peter, seriously? Put your sword away. He's so impatient. He's running off children. He's running the children away. You know, when, when all the children are wanting to hear about Jesus, he's like, get, get, this is the Messiah. We don't have time for you snot-nosed brats. He's always the first one to answer the question. And his pride manifests itself not only in high control, but it manifests itself in impatience. Are you impatient in conversations? I am. I'm a, I'm a conversation hog. But maybe, maybe that's just a preacher thing. That's why I like to be up here because I can just have a monologue. Do you ever want to finish people's sentences? I lived in uh, Mississippi. I have deep Mississippi roots. I was raised in Arkansas. My dad's from Mississippi. My wife's from Mississippi. So I love Mississippi. I love Arkansas. We're like 49th and 50th state in the nation, okay? And I'm proud of it. But notice when you're, in, when, when you're having conversations from people, especially in Mississippi, they tend to talk a little slower. There's that Mississippi boy talking. We were in the Delta. And man, I've never wanted to finish a sentence more than when ministering in the Mississippi Delta. I promise you I can finish that sentence that you're saying because it has taken you a long time to say it. And, I, and, I, and all I'm thinking about is how I can finish that word. And, and here's, the, here's the real impatience in conversation that shows that I'm prideful, that I'm really thinking more about what I'm going to say, right? What I'm going to say than what they're saying. I'm kind of listening to them like, yes, mm-hmm. That's fascinating. Uh-huh. That's great. That's great. Great. Someone died? Oh, that's sad. That's terrible. I'm a heart. What that? Okay. Are you finished now? Okay. Now, hear what I have to say because it's much more important than anything you have to say. Are you impatient in conversations? Do you interrupt people? I had someone rebuke me for that not long ago. This older gentleman said, you interrupted me. And I was like, is that, is that a bad thing to do? We see impatience and the fruit of pride in our traffic, in the way, the, way we, the way we are, is road rage and traffic. Because where you're going is more important than where anybody else is going. You ever on I-240 and you're convinced everyone else is just going to the park, right? But you're going to the post office. And you need to get there quickly. How dare all these people drive so terribly and you find yourself filled with rage. It's not just rage. At the root of that is pride. How about this one? You won't think of this as a, as a symptom of pride. Are you a phone checker? That's bad with my generation. Someone's, uh, and, and I get in trouble with this often with my wife. We're sitting at the table, and I have this, my phone's just blowing up, you know. It's just buzzing all over the place. And I just, oh, I want to, I know I want to check it. I know I'm getting an email or a text or something very important. And my wife is pouring out her soul to me and how hard her day was. And I have to check my phone. Oh, yes. Oh, there it is. 15% off all Amazon purchases. This was such an important email. And I think to myself, you know, well, okay, so I'm impatient. But you know what, ultimately, let's go back to the root cause. I'm impatient because I'm prideful because I have put myself on the throne of my universe. And when I put myself on the throne of the universe, other people don't matter. And the reason I'm impatient in traffic, the reason I'm impatient in conversations, the reason I want to check my phone and not listen to other people is because what I'm doing in my world is more important. Are you relating to this? 
Another example is self-righteousness in the life of Peter. Again, I know Peter's going to be mad at me, but I think we're all perfect at that point when we meet each other, so hopefully he won't beat me up. He is self-righteous. Verse 37. Why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you, Peter says. Now, I'm part of the Presbyterian Church in America. I know we're not big on denominations here. We're all one big happy family. But if there is a sin that my church and my denomination struggles with, it is the sin of self-righteousness because we are convinced. And get this, I don't know, there are probably a million different Presbyterian denominations, I exaggerate. We're convinced that we have it the right way. EPC, come on. I don't know. That we have it the right way, that God has, God has neglected all of these wayward denominations and He has deposited His truth in a little denomination called the Presbyterian Church in America and we're going to save the world and no one even knows who we are. And we're convinced, Lord, we'll lay down our lives for you. We will do this. We're the ones that love you more. We have the deposit of truth. We love you more than anyone else. And we will help Memphis more than anyone else. And it's self-righteous. That every other church in town, they're good churches. But, you know, we've got it right. I remember when I was in seminary. By the way, I wasn't a full-blown Calvinist when I went to seminary. But I went to RTS in Jackson, and I, I became one. I started reading the Institutes, and someone should have locked me in a room for five years because I was so obnoxious. I remember coming back home after seminary. This is, again, it's pride. It manifests itself in self-righteousness. Uh, I coming back home to Little Rock where I was raised, and my parents and... For some reason, once I'd gone to seminaries, my par- seminary, my parents became so foolish to me because they went to a non-denominational church. Ooh. And I was going to enlighten them. Of course, my parents had been Christians almost as long as I'd been alive. And they actually know Jesus. Do you find, what, what's the self-righteousness in your life? You're convinced that you have it just a little bit better than everyone else. Superiority. You know that's actually the root of racism. Self-righteousness. Because you can look at an entire group, and if it's a denomination, that's a little bit more benign. But you can look at an entire group of people, whether they're Republicans or they're Democrats, they're black or they're white, you can look at a group of people and say, you know what, that whole group of people, I'm better than they are. I watch Fox. And someone on the other side of the track say, well, I watch CNN. And we cancel each other out. It's just self-righteousness. And it's pride. We put ourselves at the center of the universe. So it's high control. It's impatience. It's self-righteousness. And then finally, defensiveness and insecurity. No one is more defensive than Peter is in chapter 18. Do you know who comes up to him? A little servant girl. The word here is a, a girl probably, probably around the age of 10. And this is big, bad, macho, terminator Peter. And he is scurrying away from a girl. 
terrified because she's accusing him of being with Jesus. And you can hear the words echoing in his head. I will lay down my life for you. My life for you. My life for you. My life for you. And there's this little girl. Don't you know Jesus? And he, his, his first reaction is to protect himself. What is, who is that person that you're so afraid of tearing your world apart? Is there someone in your business? Is there someone in your family that can really threaten you? Because they threaten what's most dear to you. They really threaten your kingdom. They threaten your life. So you want to push those people away. And the reason you're defensive and the reason you're insecure, you know why? It's because you're prideful. Nothing has taught me that more than being a senior pastor. Nothing has taught me how actually, just how profoundly insecure I really am than having to be the senior pastor of a church of 2,000. I know we're not as big as second. A church of 2,000 and being 34 years old. Because you know I have this greatest fear, this profound fear. Everyone's going to find out that I'm actually 34 years old and that I don't have all the answers. That I wish I could have R.C. Sproul on speed dial. R.C., what's the answer to this? And everyone's going to find out that I really don't have all the answers. You know what God's done in the past year? He's let me fall flat on my face over and over and over again. Because this is not about me. Which brings us to the freedom from pride. Do you not want to be freed from having to micromanage your world? <laughs> I mean... We're, we're, you know, guys, uh, and I think we're pretty much all in it. We're WASP. We're white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, right? We're like marked men in this age. We're the most uncool thing you could be now. And we're about to go crazy. The rubber band's about to pop because we are trying to micromanage our world because we see it falling all around us. And I want to be free from it, and so do you. And Jesus is the only one who can free us from it. How can we be free from pride? And when I look at my pride, folks, it, it makes me... Is this microphone on? Can you all hear me when I step out this way? Can you? Sort of? Okay. Do you remember the scene from Jaws when Brody actually sees the shark? He actually sees the entire monster and he looks back and it's one of these great moments in cinema, cinema history. He looks back and he says, We're going to need a bigger boat. There's this monster shark that dwarfs this boat. When I look at my pride, when, when God shows me that, I realize I'm going to need a bigger boat. I'm going to need something much bigger than what I currently have. My little bitty Richie Sessions Southern religion is not big enough for how wretched I really am. And I need a Jesus that actually dwarfs how broken I really am. Two things I want to look at as we close. How, do we, how, how can we begin to be free from pride? Because you're never going to stop fighting it. It's like the, 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 it's like the weeds in my yard. I, I cannot kill the weeds in my yard. I can spray. I can pay. 
I can do anything, but they're going to keep coming back. The weeds of pride, as long as you are in this body, you are going to have that weed keep growing back. But how can we begin to fight it? Let's look at the first one. First, pride truly comes before a great fall for a Christian. The first way for pride to die is there has to be a real fall in your life. That we must be displaced from the center of our universe. And that's what happens to Peter. You see that's what happens to Peter. Peter actually has to see the real Peter. Not the persona. You know, we have personas. We have religious versions of ourselves. We have the business persona. We have the family persona. We have the, the fun party persona. Whatever persona. We have all these personas. And we can't keep them alive for very long because they're not real. In order for pride to begin to die in our lives, in order for to begin to be free from it, the only way is you have to see your true reflection. And Peter saw his true reflection and that's exactly what Jesus wanted to happen. He was sifted like wheat. And the reason he's weeping at the end of chapter 18, weeping, is not just because he betrayed Jesus. It's because for the first time in the life of Peter, he sees who he really is and he needs a bigger boat. He's absolutely overwhelmed with the reality that he is not co-savior with Jesus he is absolutely overwhelmed that he actually needs a Savior like Jesus has been talking about his entire ministry. I need that Savior. I am desperate. I am broken. Am I really that person? And he sees himself. On the, he sees his true reflection for the first time. That's hard to do in our churchy world. Because we can be convinced that the religious clean persona really is us. But you will never love Jesus as long as you avoid your sin, Flannery O'Connor said. That we have to see our true reflection. Thomas Merton said that pride makes us false, but humility makes us real. Now this is a one-time fall in your life, but everything in you and everything in me is pushing away from really being broken. There's a scene from The Twilight Zone that Jack Miller likes to quote, or liked to quote. Um, you've seen The Twilight episode, some of you may have seen it, where there's this man who's very dashing, and he has it all together. He's a good-looking man. Women wanted him. Men wanted to be him. But on the inside, he was a monster. He was a jerk. He was deceitful. He was, he was just a, a, a terrible person. And then one day, he sees... His true reflection, the inside on the outside, he sees it in the mirror. And he is this disfigured, mutant man. The ugliness that he was truly on the outside was manifested on the outside. The inside became the outside. And you know what happened to him? He looked at his reflection and he died instantly. Here's the gospel. God shows you your true reflection. I'm saying the real, the real ugly you. He shows you the true reflection and Jesus dies. The gospel is Jesus dies for your pride. And the reason we are so phony in the South 
The reason we are not free from things like pride, the reason we are not bold in proclaiming the gospel, you know why? Because our Jesus is too small. And it's when men come together and men start being honest about their lives and about their struggles, being honest about their struggles with pride and how they try to micromanage their worlds and they can't do it anymore and they become at the end, they come to the end of the line of themselves and they start preaching this gospel and Jesus gets bigger and bigger and bigger and that's exactly what happened to Peter. And you go from someone who hated everyone, who was challenging everyone, challenging your universe, to someone who actually begins to love. Is Jesus trying to show you again and again your true reflection, not the persona? He does not love the persona of you. He loves you. And is He big enough to actually deal with the real you? Now that's scandalous. To know and to believe that who you really are is truly forgiven. All your warts, all the ugliness that Jesus came to cleanse Peter, the real Peter, not the fake Peter. That's the first one. That's the first way to begin to deal with pride. The true reflection, the true you. I think God's doing something in the men of our city and our country. I think he's making us real in a way that he hasn't in a long time. The second thing, and the second way, uh, which is really an illustration of the first point of how to handle pride, how to be free from pride, I'll call it the mercy pick. And I'll close with this. The mercy pick. There was a kid I grew up with Named Doug. Doug was round, unathletic. He had a tremendous speech impediment. He was not cool. He was the sweetest guy in the world. He was not a good athlete, but he always wanted to play every game. And you know, when you're in elementary school and in junior high, you remember picking teams? You pick the teams and you have the whole group and you sing, you know, you got one group over here, you got one group over here, you got, you got the, you know, and you have the head guy. Now you really want to be the guy who's picking, right? If you, if you have your choice, you'd be like the guy who's picking, right? You pick, and I was like, well, okay. And if you're not picking, you want to go early, right? Or it's going to ruin the rest of your day. You want to be first or second. And so the coach is there, and you know the head, the head guys is picking, and you start picking guys, you start picking guys. Doug was always the last guy picked every single time. That's what we called a mercy pick. It was one of these. Yeah, you take Doug. You, Doug, you, okay, Doug, yeah. You can play. The last thing that you wanted to be in my school, and I would submit to you the last thing you want to be in East Memphis, is Doug. It is unthinkable. It is the worst nightmare for most of us. If I'm not picked first or second, if I'm not at least the star or the second star, I will not make it through. The last thing I want to be is around nobody that doesn't have any friends 
and the last person on the team, here's what Jesus taught Peter. Peter, you're Doug. And you're all Dougs. Peter wanted things his way. He wanted to be Savior. He wanted to be the star. And what the Gospel says to our pride is, you are mercy picks. Jesus does not have you on His team. Peter, please understand this. Richie, please understand this. You're not on this team because because you have a good shot. Or because you play good defense. You're not in my kingdom because you deserve to be in my kingdom. You're not in my kingdom because you're strong enough or because you're smart enough or because you're cool enough. You're in my kingdom because of my mercy. And it brings me pleasure to have you here. Is Jesus showing that to you? That maybe you, re- you really aren't who you think you are. <laughs> I-, I think to myself, I must be so talented to be a pastor in the Presbyterian Church in America. God, it, 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 I'll just be honest with you, I think to myself, because uh, you go back from despair and arrogance back and forth over and over again, right? God, I must be so dynamic. And he's saying, no, 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 no. You are Doug. But here's the good thing about being a Doug, folks. No one enjoyed the game more than Doug. I don't think he ever made a shot or ever scored a touchdown or ever hit a home run. But every time the team made a point... Every time someone scored a touchdown, Doug was, woohoo! And every time he won, he was the first one that was cheering along. No one enjoys the win like a mercy pick. And folks, Jesus wins. So enjoy it. And take your proper place at the end of the line. That when we begin to see ourselves as a mercy pick, we no longer have to compare ourselves to each other. We're no longer trying to outdo or manipulate the situation. It's when you become a mercy pick that you actually begin to love your brothers and your sisters in Christ and to support them. And finally, it's when you really begin to love Jesus. You really see how wonderful he is. Because you know what he did? He became a Doug. And he won. Thanks for letting me preach to you. Hope God blesses you and this church. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, take us apart. We, we say, we ask that, but it is so scary for us to pray something like that because Lord, just being honest, we can't see you and we can see all the things in our world. We can see our, our we, we can, we can tangibly look at our business and our achievements, our record. And Lord, it is so hard for us not to be defined by that, but it's killing us at the same time. 
Lord, would you free us to see ourselves as mercy picks? As people who are, are in your kingdom, not because we have any reason to be there or because we have any reason to, to actually boast, but help us boast in our weakness because when we boast in our weakness, then you are glorified and then we're truly strong. Lord, we, be, we say we believe that in your word from, from 2 Corinthians 12. But help us actually believe that in our souls. I pray that you would bless these men. Make them salty men. Men that love. Men that are really listening, not checking their phones. Make me a man that really wants to listen to people and to care about people. I cannot do it, Lord. I've tried. I can't do it. And so you have to bring me to the end of myself. I need a bigger boat. Thank you for being so great, so mighty. Would you free us so that we can love each other, that we can love this city in a scandalous, liberating, God-honoring way. And send us out with your gospel. It's good news, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys.